Today I'm going to be speaking to Marilyn Akuru, who's a former British track and field athlete. How's it going, Marilyn? You okay? Yeah, great, Lanny. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for coming on. Um, I haven't spoke to you probably, when was it, since the end of the course? When was that? About a month ago? Seems like ages ago. But it seems like back. ages ago, but it really wasn't that. We just got our yeah. certificates through. Did you get yours? Yeah, <laughs> I've got mine. Uh, I've got mine. Was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday, I think. Yeah. So. I'm just glad that I passed it in the end because I know struggles. I'm gonna take it. It was hard. I think I reckon about seventy-eight percent of the, the the cohort like failed it. Um, yeah, I failed. Didn't. I've got to retake. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I I was kind of up in the air. I was thinking like, shall I retake it? And then I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. So I thought, well, I may as well do it. And then happily, happily passed. But I think the second attempt, well done. I found it a bit easier just because yeah. I'm a bit more familiar with it. So that yeah. was um, good classes. Are, like we had a good group, didn't we? Good. Loved the group. I was very apprehensive because it's yeah. so out of my comfort zone, but <laughs> definitely the group made it so mm -hmm. much better. Yeah. And I'm all about the people that are around you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I was kind of introduced to governance and I thought it was going to be really boring and then the little workshop I did was like, okay. And then when this came up, I actually applied the year before, but didn't get on. Um, okay. And then Lisa remembered me and said, apply again. So. Good, <laughs> <laughs> uh, good. Yeah, no, I was glad. I was glad I did it. Um, yeah, it was a good experience. And again, on paper, it sounds really, really boring, but uh, it, was, uh, it was a good experience. Um, sounds but, boring, yeah. but also sounds official, which I exactly, quite like. Yeah, yeah, it sounds really <laughs> important. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, appreciate you coming on today. Um, thanks for your time. Uh, what are you doing now? Just let everyone know kind of what you're doing on a day-to-day -day and, and how's life at the minute for you? Yeah, so I am freshly retired from track and field. I announced my retirement at the end of February. So literally, I feel like I went to bed that night, woke up the next day and the world just opened up. And so from then until now, I've just been forging my way, almost kind of streamlining what it is I actually want to do. I'm not 100% there because I've been someone that's had my fingers in a lot of pies throughout my career because I've had to. Um, and especially the latter parts, I was doing a lot of things to maintain the lifestyle I needed to compete. And so what comes with that is lots of different experiences and lots of different perspectives. Yeah. and picking up lots of random jobs and because of my mindset i need to be good at everything i do so yeah. i actually had loads of options okay but actually just trying to deal with retirement which i think is one of those big words and you don't really know what you're gonna feel or think when you're until you're there so the immediate feeling was relief because i dropped a lot of pressure that i was putting on myself yeah. tokyo wasn't going to be for me um and so that relief that i didn't have to keep pushing through because that's what i was doing really um and then it was like okay now it's time to recover <laughs> and start making some money <laughs> so that's kind of what i'm doing i think it's kind of i'm quite fortunate because the summer seasons tend to be a time where there's lots of school visits and lots of talks going on so i thought i would go with what's easiest for me which is my public speaking yeah. and that way i'm networking and figuring out 
sort of which bits of the industry I want to kind of expand into. Mm -hmm. Nice. A lot, yeah. A bit. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you. You're quite busy on like LinkedIn and other like social media outlets. Yeah. Seems like you've got loads going on, which is a good thing. And like you yeah. said, you've only literally just just retired. Like I retired when I was 31. I've just turned 40. So yeah I'm kind of i'm over that now anyway my my transition was pretty seamless anyway i think we spoke before um when we first met yes touched on that so for me like i i i did have an element of relief like you said just there and i suppose my relief was the fact that i found it so easy to find another job at my first attempt so i didn't really have that experience of like rejection so i don't really know what that feels like when i've kind of gone from playing football to obviously doing what i'm doing now so how was it for you? Because obviously I know, and we'll touch on this a bit later, like people have different experiences when it comes to retirement and transitioning away from sport. So you touched on obviously retirement earlier. How how did you find that process? Really difficult, if I'm honest with you. I think it was a decision that was probably about five years delayed. <laughs> In track and field, it's very different to football and a lot of team sports, I guess. Mm. But especially football being in the UK, um, I feel like there's very few athletes that can actually earn a comfortable living. And I'm not talking about being a millionaire, just a living where you don't have to stress. Um, it is possible, but you know, there's a lot of work to be done with the welfare of athletes. And I, I, I'm throwing a lot of my energy at studying this and researching and talking to athletes because I feel like as an Olympic bronze medalist, some of the experiences I faced were uncalled for they were not necessary and they kind of have made my retirement that much more you know difficult <laughs> it took me okay. a lot longer to get there because i was carrying a lot of unprocessed trauma i was still sort of trying to prove to people that i could do this xyz rather than focusing on my other identities and what made me you know a happy person which ultimately would make me a happy runner and a fast runner. So I was going around in these unhealthy circles, uh, emotionally and mentally, and that takes its toll on you physically and what you're trying to do in terms of performance. So, you know, retirement, I feel like it was, my hand was forced um, because I was burnt out, to be honest, and I no longer had the environment that would enable me to be an elite performer. And, you know, my goals were not matching my reality. And I'm someone that's quite realistic. Like I have like audacious goals, but I'm also realistic in them. And if I wasn't gonna be able to see a certain performance by a certain time, there was no way I was going to try for Tokyo because <laughs> mm. I'm not about that. Because there are other things that I want to do. And I felt like I was getting to a point and an age where it's not just about running around the track for no reason. I'm not someone that necessarily thought they were going to be an Olympian. It was a way out of where I grew up in Stonebridge. It was something that connected me to people. It was something that brought me joy. So when it stopped doing that, it was no longer serving a purpose. And I felt like, okay, it's time to, to move on. But again, it was difficult to commit to it because it was such a huge part of what I'd done for mm. almost, almost 20 years. It was a huge part of my identity and I hadn't really nurtured anything else, especially for the last five years, because one thing athletes are good at doing is focusing <laughs> until yeah. you get the job done. Mm. So I was a bit blinkered um, and that made it hard as well. Uh, yeah. Literally just thinking what is on the other side of this door. Mm. So when I finally committed to it, because my body literally had 
tanked out on me. Um, I think it was just relief that I was making a decision that was for me, by me, yeah. and it was the right decision purely because of that. Okay. And then you mentioned you mentioned burnout uh, a couple of minutes ago. So obviously I know how intense, well, to a degree I know how intense kind of track and field is in terms of training, um, diet, and all those things that you need to adhere to to, to be as successful as you, you are. So when you say burnout, are you referring to physical or like mental burnout or is it both? It was both. It was literally, you know, adrenal glands shutting off, um, sinking into depression. Uh, my body, I had a lot of chronic pains, which we just thought, oh, that's because you run 800 meters and you're, you know, pushing so hard. But when I would go to see physios, they'd be like, your muscle is fine. But there's this pain, this chronic pain that's there all the time. And so a lot of it was due to stress. Mm. Um, not, you know, you're already adding stress by playing a sport and mm. training that intensity. But I was literally stressed. I wasn't sleeping. So, you know, there comes that point where actually this sport is no longer healthy for me. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're used to pushing, you know. I'm an 800 meter runner. I'm used to working hard. My work ethic is just, you know, crazy. And I found one, one day I just lost motivation. I couldn't, simple things, you know, I wasn't enjoying them. I'm a very vivacious and bubbly person. Didn't want to connect with anyone. I was just too tired for life. Um, so that's when the alarm bells were ringing a bit and, and I started thinking, okay, well, I think I have to put myself first now, but then what's everybody else going to think? You know, so that is, you know, is real burnout. And I think it's applicable in all industries um, when you just literally lose that motivation and that, you know, that loss of zest for, for life, mm. you know, regardless of what your job is. Um, yeah. So that's a real warning sign. And I was so disconnected from my body as well. It was okay. almost like I was telling it to run and it was just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think then in terms of like your transition, do you think because you are, in control of it to a certain degree for the most part do you think it made it a bit easier because i know you said like obviously you, you saw the signs were there but it wasn't it wasn't a case where overnight your career was done because of a, a bad injury no so i wouldn't say it was like an instant crisis at all i think i had quite a few <laughs> like year after year after year so if i date back to when i probably could have started preparing for retirement i'd probably say it was 2014. you know yeah. i had a really bad year i wasn't really sponsored um in a very secure way i had an awful championship i wasn't with the best sort of coaching setup so i think from and that when i look back was the beginning of the end mm. you know and that's 2014. so i think i some sort of program or starting to think about next steps should have started as far back as then um however <laughs> the person vera i am i was just like okay when it come back and then 2015 i had the same injury 2016 i was rolling in the winter and then i had the same injury again so that each time even though i didn't think it at the time it was doing a lot of psychological damage because what was happening is i was losing trust in my body my body was getting weaker um and then we just thought okay well let's train harder let's let's push harder and mm. then you've got championships that are emerging we had the 2017 london game let's get ready for that and then the gold coast in, in australia but i wasn't 
ready for any of that. Um, mm. And then you think, okay, I'll have a break. Let's just have a break and come back for the, the Olympics. So in 2018, I thought, let's be realistic because we keep just jumping back like year after year. I thought two years, let's do that. But what, what do I need to do? I need to move. I need to, so I was doing all these changes in a really short space of time. By the time I moved to Wigan to work with this new coach who we were going to get ready for Tokyo, I was absolutely knackered. I'd moved, I'd relocated from America because yeah. I was in America from 2013 to 2017. Why? Come back, had a bit of time in the UK, figuring out what I was going to do. 2018, September, I moved to Wigan and it was like, road to Tokyo. <laughs> you know, that was it. Tunnel vision. <laughs> then... Everything was going okay. I was finding training really hard. Things that were normally quite, you know, routine. I was really struggling. And then we just blame it on age. So I was like, okay, fine. Um, there was always, a, you know, a reason for something. And I kept going, I kept going, went on a few camps. By this time, you know, I was really losing motivation. I'd gone and seen a GP and they were like, yeah, low mood. Okay, now it's depression. Try this, try that. Tried everything and just wasn't changing. So then... I thought, let me coach myself. <laughs> you know, I'm really, I'm really exhausted every, you know, channel mm -hmm. avenue there was. But I, I'm someone that I can coach others, but I don't want to ever coach myself. Okay. And I started to just think, you know, what is the point? I also started working. I had to work. I got a job at this charity that was like my side hustle so I could pay my bills. Mm. And then I was doing my speaking. So I was traveling a lot, trying to fit in life around running because running is still the main thing yeah. um and yeah the tr i guess each time i'm just evolving and a little bit getting a bit closer to okay maybe this isn't for me but then you've still got the dangling carrot of the olympics and you just think what if and that last shot yeah. um i really was gutted when i got injured in 2016 so i just thought oh come on like i need to erase that memory mm. even though i'm still trying to erase 2012 <laughs> Yeah, but it gets to that point where you just go round in circles in your head enough times, mm -hmm. and and then I just thought, okay, I think it's time to bow out. I just don't know when. And at this point, everyone just said, you know, and I was still in very much I don't know. So I kept going <laughs> until it finally dawned on me, December thirty first, mm. that it was time. I went for a run. I don't know what happened that whole week. I was just going for these random runs, and I'm not someone that really enjoys long running. I just I'm like 20 minutes, I need to get this done. But I was going for like five miles and six miles. I think <laughs> subconsciously I was saying goodbye. Yeah. Got in the house, New Year's Eve. I was like, I never want to run again. <laughs> I don't care if I don't. I think I just finally come to that realization that it's time to yeah. move on. And so I took a month to myself to figure out, is this, because I've said that a lot of times, <laughs> I've come back a lot of times. Mm. Is this really what I want? What does this actually mean? What's next? And then, you know, I'm quite strong in my faith, so I was like, I need to kind of have a bit of a bit of time of prayer and meditation and figure out if this is still and literally the next day I was just feeling the same, halfway through I was feeling the same. So February I thought, okay, let me I wrote a letter to athletics and I thought, let me have it a nice goodbye. And that's kind of a bit of closure. Yeah. And yeah, I was really happy with how I felt through it all. I think we were on a revision session on the, the day it came out. Um, obviously, by this time, I was in lovely networks. So I think it's really important that athletes are mindful of their social interactions and the social groups that they have around them. So by this point, I'd connected with our corporate governance group. 
I also connected with the Women's Sports Trust and I was in the Unlocked program. And what I was connecting with was lots of different athletes from different sports who had retired, who were still competing, younger, older, and you're just getting different flavors. And also I think from the athletes that had moved on, I was getting a bit of hope. And oh, it's not so bad on the other side. (laughs) (laughs) It's not so bad. But your networking, your networking is just incredible. Yeah. And it's something you do so effortlessly and you don't even think about when you're an athlete. Um, so for me, it was really like I had this rich kind of network of people to just get ideas off and just talk about, you know, the same thing. Because for me in athletics, the team looked very different. So I just felt like even if I did go back, I wouldn't be able to relate to anyone. All my friends had moved on. Right. But one thing about the my peer group, they'd all moved on like with a, a bit of a chip on their shoulder, very disgruntled, weren't necessarily doing things that they wanted to do so that kept me hanging on i was like i don't want to be like that Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so yeah i'm really happy with how it eventually manifested i just Mm. think it took a long time for me to really see what was going on and it took me having that monumental crash really yeah i mean you mentioned network there and it's good that you utilize your network because i think especially for me when i was playing football for all those years um i never really utilized it so obviously within your network, within your kind of football team, whatever it may be, there's various different people in different kind of um, like strands of whatever business. So in football, you've got finance accountants, you've got people who sort the uh, travel out. And I, I never spoke to any of them about kind of how they got into the role, what they do. It was just a case of they've done it. it, it there it is. And that's, that's what you've got to get on with. So for me, it's something now that I, I may have kind of, sometimes I look back and think, I could have utilised the network more. I mean, coming out of football, it didn't really affect me. But like you said there, you've utilised yours. And that's one thing that I try and get across as well. Like, we've all got a network indirectly if you're involved in sport. It's just there by nature. Sometimes you just don't see it. Um, you touched on it earlier. You mentioned about kind of you speak to a lot of athletes, kind of current and former. So the ones you've spoken to, the ones that are kind of retired and also the ones that are still competing, how are they feeling about kind of uh, their experience or their approach to retirement? Is it, are they kind of in the same situation as you or like what's their train of thought? Well, I don't know if there's universal, but I feel like they just don't think about it. That mm. R word is just, it's the thing that just pops up. And I can confidently say that because that was me, you know, I think you're just so in the zone, so in the moment focused on that next performance, that next game, next race, and you're not thinking about it. And that's why I did my life coaching, because I think there's a lot of coaching, expertise coaching, you know, specific to a sport, specific to a discipline. And then you've got sports psychologists and then you've got the doctors and, and, and there are performance lifestyle advisors. Mm. But I feel like everyone's just so focused on the performance. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, who is focused on this? holistic side and the human that you guys are just you're all focused on the avatar you know the gladiator but underneath that is a person first and so I kind of said to my coach because you on these courses you you get assigned a coach and even like the master trainer guy was like interested because I was the only person that was talking about coaching athletes and they're like oh we haven't had that before and I was like I just want to see how it's going to go. I don't know quite know, 
But one yeah. thing I know about athletes is we have all these ideas and we have this, you know, whether it's put on or not, we have this confidence, this audacious confidence. We can just stand in a room and do whatever. So I feel like what we do lack away from our sport is strategy and the terminology and the language when it comes to translating all of that into an industry or a job or a brand. Yeah. And I knew that because that's how I felt. I was like, I have all these things that I'm good at and I can do. And even if I'm not, no one's going to know because I'm just going to faith it till I make yeah. it. <laughs> but I had no plan. And with my speaking, I thought, okay, what would I do as an athlete? I'll get a coach. I've got a speaker coach and she's a brilliant mentor to me. And she's like, I'm going to do this because you're an athlete and now you can handle it. And she literally put me into the end of her six month mastermind to speak on the stage. So it's like a Ted talk, a Ted talk style yeah. event. And I got there and the speaking part, obviously it was a no brainer. I was like, yeah, showtime. But I was around all these entrepreneurs and they were just so set on their brand strategy and their this yeah. and their that. And they had all this resources and assets. And I was just like, just <laughs> me. <laughs> so I was like, oh my gosh, like some athletes have this and certain sports are great at this, but the majority, and especially if you're not in that, what I call the 1% club, you're not privy to this. You don't have access to this. And so that's why retirement and transition is so hard because it's, you either go into an organization and you, you've got to start at the bottom and work your way up because you've got nothing on your CV because you haven't really nurtured that. Yeah. Um, or you try and go the you know entrepreneur route, which I like to call athletepreneur, but you don't know what you're doing anyway. Mm. So that's kind of the gap that I'm looking to fill because that's what I really you know needed. And fortunately, because of my networking and just talking about stuff, um, I've connected with these people and I've been inspired. And so I'll just do my due diligence. And I think it'd just be so nice to have, I guess, like the the brand strategist for athletes or that kind of lifestyle coach and actually yeah. coaching an athlete through. And then it's twofold as well, because there were various kind of, I call crises that I had, and it would have been nice to have somewhere. So for example, very simple 2020 lockdown, it completely, you know, divided the have and have nots. Yeah. You know, I was an Olympic bronze medalist, but according to Boris, I wasn't an elite athlete. So I really couldn't go to, certain places to train. However, because of my medal, I could go and say, look, I need to train for this Olympics and they would let me in. But, you know, yeah. there are not many athletes that could do that. And we yeah. saw some athletes swan off to Dubai for months. I couldn't do that because I needed to stay and work. <laughs> um, so I felt like what I'm trying to do now is help mm. athletes, you know, end their career on their terms whenever that will be, but also give them the tools and the knowledge so much earlier I think we focus on finishing a race and finishing, a, you know, your game strong, finishing your session. No yeah. one thinks about finishing their career True. in the beginning. And I think we should need to start to do that because that is going to be the, the, the game changer. Yeah. So I was going to say, I was going to say, obviously, you've mentioned, you kind of answered my question, really. I was thinking, so you mentioned when you spoke to these athletes and they're kind of thinking, well, I'm not even thinking about the R word, retirement or transition. So do you think that's one of the reasons why athletes find it so sometimes so hard to, to make that into a different kind of career path? A hundred percent, because you're not prepared. You're, mm. If it's not even on your radar, 
it's going to be an, another shock to the system and I, and I can understand it because it's so euphoric playing a sport so you're trying to be in the moment you get that high when you fit like I know with me I used to dread race day I had all the nerves under the sun let me run a good race and I'm like I'll do that again you know so you're just so you're so sucked in and especially in season time and then I think you get carried away with how you're feeling in your sport or with your teammates yeah so no one wants to think about that ending mm. <laughs> like what do you mean i'm going to be doing this forever yeah, and you're yeah. kind of told enjoy your sporting years maximize your time because it's not going to be the same but mm. what you don't realize is you're you're an athlete for so long you do have a shelf life and mm. you've got a lot longer to live mm. doing something else your next career or yeah. careers yeah. um so yeah i think it's it's just something that's not really impressed upon until it's, oh my gosh, yeah, they're injured or something's happened or, you know, the, the mental health is struggling, so let's find something else. And then it's a knee-jerk reaction, I feel like. Yeah. So, you know, it'd be so much better to plan for it and prepare for it yeah. a bit earlier because it doesn't mean you have to go and do that now, but you yeah. could be collecting some valuable experience. You could be touching base. You could be just testing whether that's what you really want to do. Exactly, you know? exactly, yeah. And it's one of them, like, one thing that I always hate is when they say um, play or compete for as long as possible because you're a long time retired. And I'm thinking that's all well and good when you're at the higher echelons of your chosen sport because the money's decent. So obviously you're going to stay in for as long as possible if you, if you want it. You've got that choice. When you're playing at, say, lower league level uh, in football or in athletics or whatever, where you, make, you mentioned earlier you're struggling to make ends meet, why would you want to stay in that field for as long as possible? You're approaching 38, 39, hanging on to that pipe dream. And it's like, it's never really going to happen. You're going to, you're going to have to work at the end of the day anyway. And like you mentioned there, your CV is probably only going to be sports-based anyway. So the older you are with that CV just saying what you've done in sport, the harder it is to find work anyway. Um, especially when you haven't got that kind of, you're not a household name, you haven't got that, top end kind of network around you to kind of push exactly. you in that or give you that like open that door for you if that makes sense so it's one of those things that i always it's like a pet hate of mine i always hear people saying it. it's normally people who have had a really really successful career or they're still in that career where they're at the high restaurant of their chosen sport it's a lot easier for them to, to hang in there for as long as they want um but you mentioned earlier about you doing like a lot of speaking and stuff um, and I'm assuming kind of communication is one of your transferable skills. So aside from that, like what have you brought with you from athletics into what you're doing now in terms of transferable skills? So this is great because I feel like I did, before I retired, one of the things I did was a lot of um, job searches and filling out application forms long and doing covering letters and even like you said there my cv was a sporting cv it really didn't make any sense in the business world so i had a really good mentor claire who works in communications and she revamped my cv and i did actually have a lot of experience there but i, I just put all the athletics at the top like look at me and then they were yeah. like, okay and just the little buzzwords rewording the 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 layout i was like oh my gosh i do have quite a lot of skills so things like problem solving which is one thing that i've definitely got from sport but i've got from life because there's been lots of situations that i've had to work my way out of or yeah. you know in athletics i've had to manage a lot of different egos and personalities 
Mm. And so, yeah, problem solving, um, you know, leadership is something that is natural to me, probably from, from childhood, being the eldest child of an African home. And then being able to bring that into the workspace. So, you know, the work with the charity was a very emotionally draining role. And so I naturally was that person that would lift up the energy, the spirits and, you know, kind of have to, I wasn't a manager because I didn't have the experience going into it to get a managerial position, but I did manage different groups of people, whether it was the volunteers or the social work students and even my colleagues you know, would come to me to ask me things. And I'm like, I started at the same time as you. <laughs> you know, social work was not something I studied, but what I did like to do is work with people um, and serve people and start from that point and then, you know, signpost to get supports wherever. I enjoyed the multi-agency working aspect. And mm -hmm. that's what gave me this idea to work in the support services space for athletes because I, we were looking after vulnerable people mm -hmm. and, you know, understanding who they are, understanding their needs, almost triaging what was important when, and yeah. then we would build from there. Um, right. So yeah, um, definitely kind of, I guess that coaching mentoring mm. is something that I often lead with because it's it's a passion of mine. Mm. So yeah, there's, I felt like there's that word transferable skills, we hear it a lot, but you do need to understand you, who you are and like what makes you tick and what you can actually transfer over yeah definitely yeah across the board now so i'm talking all sports and it, um, i'm happy for you to focus on athletics to answer the question but in terms of like a, a generic approach to this now so in terms of sport in its entirety do you think it needs to be in terms of retirement do you think it needs to be approached in a different way if you want to focus on athletics then that's fine in terms of your answer so just what, what are your thoughts on that no, um, so I have been in lots of different circles with different sports. So predominantly women's sports. Um, I am sort of a champion of women and girls in sport. Mm. So I've spoken to lots of different athletes, rugby teams, women's football teams, basketball, and then individual sports like tennis, athletics. Mm. And I think across the board, it's just that kind of, the 1% and the 99%. Mm. So there's more of the 99%, you know, that that need the supports, the access. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, across the board. And, and then I, I have spoken to some guys, like I've done a few um, sort of focus groups and I wanted to have as, you know, as broad and diverse opinions and experiences as possible. And so I realized that the issue doesn't really discriminate to a sport. I think it's a, a question of elitism, perhaps, in sport. Yeah. And whether the governing bodies are willing to expand their support services. But mm. I also understand it's a question of medals and money and funding. So mm. therefore, it's a competitive environment. Not everybody is going to get a bit of the pie. Yeah. But then what is there, like... I feel like when it's that situation, one of my rules of life is life isn't fair. So it's about survival of the fittest. How can you empower yourself? How can athletes know that what, you know, get access, get a bit of, you know, the tool, expand their toolkits, I guess, or their kit bags, mm. um, and do it on their terms. Because that is the, the plus of not being 
under a you know a governing body banner is you actually have the freedom and the liberty to to do it on your terms more yeah. so than the others um so yeah there's a lot of work to be done it's definitely a mission i'm on yeah. i feel like governing bodies kind of at the minute they're like we've got this but they don't realize that they they don't um and i'm someone i'm like well when you're ready to listen i'll keep talking but until then i will focus with you know get staying in touch with the athletes getting as much you know i think now it's a for me it's a case of putting together some some data some literature and so i am involved in working groups mm. and just trying to expand my study and, and and have something to say here look this is what the statistics say mm. there is an issue we need to solve it brilliant and then, so talk to me about your career now. So like, obviously you're a really, really successful uh, athlete. So how did it feel? Cause obviously you've represented Great Britain and uh, many, many different tournaments. How did it feel obviously representing Great Britain? Oh, good question. Obviously uh, it's something that you're really honored to do, mm. but you know, I am half British, half Nigerian, or I'm British and Nigerian. Yeah. So, and a lot of my teammates were from Nigeria or Jamaica, the islands. Mm. And so we would joke and say, you know, imagine if we all just went to our, you know, our, the motherland, <laughs> there'd be no Team GB. <laughs> and I felt there was, <laughs> there was so much representation with the Union Jack, yeah. but we weren't always made to feel like we were Team GB. Okay. I think, you know, I hosted an incredible webinar last night with Annika Nwara, who, you know, I've literally traveled this journey with, mm. We're like a, born a month apart and started racing very young together. And, you know, she says the same. It was always having to fight 10 times harder as yeah. a, a black Nigerian athlete on the team GB. Um, okay. I particularly was not the typical 800 meter runner. So I, you know, I look more like a, I should be on the 100 meter start line apparently. Um, but then you see me start and you're like, eh, maybe not. Um, <laughs> so I always had to contend with a lot of no's and that's not how you run that way. I was a power 800 meter runner, which is different in the UK. Mm. Um, and I did the 400 and the 800 and they were constantly like, okay, can you pick one? But why? Like I do both. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I could go on and on and there's, you know, the, the questions like when you are racing and you get a fan saying, where are you really from? So, you know, as proud as you are, there's yeah. lots of, there's been lots of reminders. Wow. And so, you know, there was a point where I thought, should I just go and run for Nigeria? Okay. And then the politics of sport, you realize is absolutely everywhere. And I was too old to deal with that at that point. Yeah. <laughs> I had very few shots left. I needed to take them wisely. Mm. Um, but yeah you know that is a huge part of your identity to have not only made your national team mm. but traveled made finals brought home medals mm. you know it's definitely something not to be taken lightly but for yeah. a lot of my career i was just fighting to prove i deserved it which taints it a bit you know and i think one of the most difficult times i was in People couldn't understand it because I was so low, so upset, so like resentful. And they're like, but you're an Olympic medalist. That's all they'd say to me. But we have to think about how I got a lot of my medals, which was my career was wrecked by drug cheats. And a lot of my medals were given to me in retrospect. 
So what okay. that meant for me was that I had a lot of stolen moments at the time. Yeah, what yeah. does that mean? Then people don't want to sponsor you because, you know, you weren't in the final, you didn't get that medal. And yeah. even the governing body, even though they know Russia's cheating and Belarus is cheating, yeah. they've got to justify the funding. And so, you know, that's that was, a you know, for me in 2012, I was really disappointed in my governing body for just almost... 10 11 years of service like a letter saying well you're no longer a medal contender you're too old goodbye like there was no exit interview maybe that's what the world of corporate world has there was no let's support you for next six months i'd sacrifice yeah. so much money. and there's this whether it's a sacrifice or not i know i chose to do it but there are things that you do sacrifice and, and mm. you choose to sacrifice but sure. It's still a service, you know, to the governing body. And I was someone that I was so desperate to prove how dedicated I was, how committed I was. I would literally did anything that was asked of me. And yeah. then to just get a letter in the post like that was really heart wrenching. So then it kind of left me in this maverick mode, this mission to, OK, I'm going to get back on the team. And, and a lot of people go through this. It's like you're dropped off funding. I don't need your funding anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you just do whatever you can. Yeah. Um, but then that in itself shows how much it means to have a British vest, how much it means to be part of the team. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I loved competition. I was not someone that just wanted to train because as I, I'm training because on race day, I've got a job to do and I want to do it in style. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and I, I loved championships. I really did. You know, it's something where for the first time in track and field, you're you're a team, you're united, and we come from all different little silos across the country, but in that moment, for that camp, for that championship, you are Team GB. So there's a lot of pride that goes with that. Amazing. Do you miss competing at all? 100%. That's the only thing I miss. And yeah. I'm doing a bit of media work and commentating, which is keeping me in touch with the sport, and then I'm like, Oh, should I start training? No. <laughs> I'm so I'm still so tired, but I do miss competing. And because for me, the last few years, I was so desperate to get back, just get back to the track, just one race. Mm. And it just never came. It never came. It got further and further away. I was doing less and less to prepare myself to compete. So okay. it's hard because my event has always been a fire event. Like we've always had some amazing girls you know mm. for the middle distance and so we've got the whole issue of the shoes i know but girls are running this year and yeah. oh man i wish i could be a part of that mm. because i was always racing you know these drugs cheats and you know we delivered because we were keep trying to keep up <laughs> like the mm. times the girls run to win races now that we get you like fifth sixth place and you know you're getting towed along so yeah. yeah, but I do a lot of mentoring with a lot of the upcoming girls. So I'm, you know, I guess I can celebrate through them and I just want them to have a good, strong mindset because I think oh. that's what I lacked. I just, yeah. you know, I'm fearless. And so I just did it. But I, I always say like, if I had the mindset I have now when I was racing, I would have been untouchable, but I had so <laughs> much outside yeah. voices. Yeah. So yeah. No, I know what you mean. Um... So with all that we've said and everything that we've kind of spoken about then, like, do you think more help's needed for athletes uh, in, in all sports when it comes to approaching retirement? Sorry, could you just say that again? I was just saying in terms of like, um, 
everything we've spoken about. Do you, do you think when it comes to retirement transition and away from sport, do you think more help's needed for athletes across the whole board? Yeah, a lot more help is needed. I think earlier as well. I think at different, you know, when we talk about transition, we don't just transition out the sport. We transition in and we have various transitions throughout our journey. So mm. I feel like there could be like checkpoints where, you know, I'm doing some research with or taking part in the study with Sterling University, who are partnered with University of Queensland. And I've just finished that program. And I was thinking, she was like, how did you find it? I was like, like I needed this like seven years ago. Really? Um, and it, it was the first program I feel like really focused on your identity. Mm. And it's not very long, you know, if I'll, if you want to go through it and just sample it, that'd be awesome. Mm. But it was just a really good way of helping me even like now, three months on just map out you know, how I feel about retirement, what it's going to look like, what potentially the next thing should be. It focuses a lot on your um, social groups and, you know, also just that kind of, um, which is the, the stuff that I love, is that kind of self-mastery, that identity and ownership of your decision-making. Mm. And I just think athletes aren't doing that now. I think transition at the moment, people are thinking, okay, what's your next job? Yeah. There's so much that needs to happen before sure. you can deliver in a next job. You might have the skill sets, but are you ready? And, yeah. you know, for me, I worked with lots of companies, amazing companies that are supporting athletes. And if an athlete's ready to just jump into their next industry, then that's great. Mm. But the majority are not, especially if it's not happened on your terms. You've got yeah. a lot of unpacking to do. You mm. need to prepare. You need to make not knee-jerk reaction decisions. Mm. So... Yeah, there's still a lot to do and, and I'm happy to see these kind of programs coming into the fore. You know, I want to add my own into the mix in terms of coaching athletes because um, I just think it's just not been looked at before. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. I agree with everything you mentioned there. Is there any advice that you'd want to give to kind of any current athletes, any former athletes with regards to your experiences and kind of what they potentially may be heading towards in the future? Don't be afraid to start with the end in mind. Think about, you know, the end, because one day the only guarantee is that your career is going to end. Um, so start to utilize your networks, take them seriously, get a mentor, someone that has retired, someone in an industry that you think you'd like to go into. Um, there is no harm in exploring the other parts of you and you know your other identities because we have a lot of different identities so i think that'd be my my main advice awesome really appreciate you coming on i've enjoyed the chat and it's good to catch up um if you want to just let everyone know like where we can find you on the socials uh, and anything that you're actually doing at the moment what we can do to get involved or whatever Absolutely. So I've got a few things up my sleeve. <laughs> so I'm just, um, I've just had a four part series webinar called Detach the Stigma. So that is courageous conversations all about athlete mental health. And I've brought together athletes past and present, as well as healthcare professionals who are just sharing their experiences and their journeys. I've got one more um, session of that coming up June 16th. Wednesday night at 7pm so tickets are available on Eventbrite but on all my socials the link is there. I'm also hosting a championship mindset webinar on the 21st of June which is in, in preparation for the Olympic trials for track athletes but it is for all athletes 
anyone who you know is striving for success to be honest um, so I've got a great lineup there which I'll reveal tomorrow of a, you know a few people that I think really encompass champion mindset and so it's about you know knowing how to win when you know it counts okay. <laughs> so that's really exciting um, but as far as reaching out to me I am on all the socials as Marilyn Okoro O-L-I, O-L-Y. <laughs> um, yeah, so Marilyn O'Cora across socials, you'll be able to connect with me. And I love connecting with people. I'm very active. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid to say hi. <laughs> awesome. Appreciate that. I'll be looking out for, for those things. And like I said, uh, appreciate you coming on today. Enjoyed the chat. And we'll keep in touch along the way. Definitely. Thank you so much, Danny. It's been great. No problem. Speak soon. Bye. Bye.